Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. Excuse us. We were busy chatting. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial right here in Marshfield. Happy Saturday, everybody. I'm talking this morning with Danielle Van S, who's an estate planning attorney with DGVE Law in Hingham. And we're talking about estate planning for families. I apologize, we cannot take live callers this morning, which is always great because we are pre-recorded, but we hope to, I hope to be live in the studio in a couple weeks. Um, and when the soccer, se- well, it's hard, it's hard with soccer season. I coach a couple of soccer teams and it's my passion outside of work and I very much love it. And um, so I appreciate people uh, being understanding that we're uh, pre-recorded, but um, we just finished up sort of define, I don't know, defining the estate planning, uh, the estate planning process or talking about the estate planning process and sort of defining some of the documents that are common when people go through the estate planning process. Um, and we wanted to get into talking about trusts, which are many and varied for many um, reasons. And I think we could spend a good bit of time on that. Did you, you made a comment off, off air and I didn't know if you wanted to elaborate on, did you not finish 
talking about something from the last segment? You had asked me what documents would be common, and oh, so right, we right. kind of addressed financial and healthcare. Um, in addition to healthcare proxy, yep. a separate declaration of anatomical gifts to note whether or not you want to be an organ donor again. Oh, that's Sing- a separate document. I, it's I, not just a sticker on your license. Oh no, the license it's not even doesn't control. Anymore. Yeah, the, oh. the little heart. Everyone oh. says I, I am on my license. Oh. Um, no, but a separate single-purpose document can be really helpful to just address again that one question without having to parse through all the rest of the details of everything else in there. Um, And then also the living will, which there are different ways of addressing that end of life care. Not everybody wants everything done at the end of life, depending on the circumstances. So we get into how much assistance do you want at the end of life? Um, And understanding what partial code means versus full code in the medical context, you know, do everything or do everything but these things or do not resuscitate order. And it's really important to distinguish between those. Yeah. and then, of course, this is a nice tie-in with the trust for people who have minor children. Yeah. We also clearly need to address guardianship. Yeah. By the time the will goes to court, you know, there's been a, there's been a lag in time between when somebody has died, yeah. right? So um, what we really need to make sure is that we have temporary emergency guardians for minor children and permanent legal guardians for minor children. And to the extent that we can get that in place quickly and establish permanency and kind of calm down the chaos for the children, it's better for everybody all around. So, so separate is that, documents So that's not in the will? That's a separate document for a temporary... What did you just call it? A temp- I call it a temporary emergency guardianship. Um, okay. We have both. Okay. So we do have a, dec- a nomination or appointment of permanent guardians within the will. Okay. But again, that by the time the will gets there, we've already had a lot of time pass. So there is the ability under Massachusetts law since 2012 to do a separate appointment of permanent guardians for a minor child. Oh. And so you can just get that one thing through court and establish permanency for the child faster. Okay. In the event that the parent is not dead, but just temporarily unavailable, unable to get home, incapacitated. This is like the date night, God forbid, car accident, oh, mom and dad in a car yep. accident. Yep. Um, or my husband and I, many years ago, we were um, stranded and not able to come home on a plane. Um, oh, we, we were the 9-11 plane people that were up in Canada for a week. Really? So I always wow. think about that, where it we were fine, thank goodness, we were okay, yeah. but it took us six days to be able to get home. In yeah. the interim, somebody has to have authority to sit tight with your kids, stay right. in your home. So if you're lucky enough to have family, it's a non-issue. Yeah. If you have you know, a high school sitter at your house and there's an accident, somebody better have legal authority to avoid your children having to spend any time while family gets Corey checked and background checked to make sure oh, that wow. they're safe. Wow. So somebody who's who's close by and can come in an emergency and sit tight until you can get home. Okay. So on that note, we'll get to trust in a minute. On that note, how long does it typically take before your will goes through the courts in Massachusetts? Um, That absolutely depends on who's holding on to the will and where it is and can we find the original will, which is a whole other question. Okay. Um, Let's say someone has a copy of the will in their safety deposit box and and a family member found the key. uh, There we go. Very accessible and it's... Um, it's right there in that situation where things go smoothly. So Massachusetts law says that the person who's in possession of the will must present that to the court within 30 days of notification of the person's death. Okay. 
that's the theory. Okay. Um, in reality, I'm not sure anything really happens if that doesn't happen along those timelines. And whether we're talking about a home safe with the key in it at home or a safe deposit box at the bank, if the person that you need to get into that safe deposit at the bank doesn't have authority to get into the safe deposit box at the bank, you you've just the established yeah. a hurdle. So I actually don't recommend that people keep their original wills in the safe deposit box at the bank unless they've made darn sure that there's current authority to get into that box. Okay. My head's spinning a little bit, Danielle. It's a lot no, of stuff. No, I appreciate the information, but it, there's, a lot, there's a lot to think about. And yeah, and I've actually never read my own estate planning documents. So Uh-oh. I, <laughs> I trusted I trust the attorney that drafted them. I just never I never read them. I suppose it would be in- interesting so and educational for me to actually read them. And, That's and awful that goes to, admit, to how but, often yeah. you should review them. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the standard when I studied this and learned about this, I always heard five to seven years. Every five to seven years, yeah. occasionally, you hear somebody yeah. say every 10 years. Yeah. Um, I think five to seven years is too long. Oh, really? I think every three years, life moves very quickly. I'm not sure there's ever a stage in life when it really slows down and becomes stagnant. We're either, yeah. you know, building our nests or emptying them. We're ramping up or ramping yeah. down or whatever we're doing. Yeah. But every three years, it's worth dusting it off, taking a look, um, and but making sure it's still... Who's taking a look? You're talking about the person themselves or you're talking about them having an attorney do it? So both. Um, certainly, I provide all my clients with a plain English kind of Cliff Notes version yeah. summary of what we've done so okay. that they have the ability to read through it and refresh their memory quickly. I also yeah. provide a visual, a diagram, so they can look at that and quickly see visually what the flow is. Yeah. Um, they can check who their named healthcare agents are. But then, of course, the law changes. So if, if yeah. you have the ability to check in with your lawyer you ought to every three years yeah and what if there is an inability for someone to check in with their lawyer because they retired or they're not returning a phone call or they moved away or whatever so does your law firm for example do reviews and what's the process absolutely so we do um we have a lot of clients that come to us that way for all of the reasons you just articulated Yeah. yeah Um, so what we do is a standard review where the, the prospective clients will send us over a copy of all of their documents. There is a fee for that. Yeah. I will review everything they send me. And then we have a one-hour consultation to review and discuss everything that they have. And if that's all they wanted to do, that's fine. And okay. if there's anything that they want to address, we can figure it out from there. Okay. Is that common for other... Do you know if other firms do that? I don't actually I'm know. I'm sure if other it. attorneys will do a review. I'm yeah. not sure how they do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I frequently ask my clients to have their documents reviewed, but I, I don't have a clear picture of how many firms have a process for that or do that or, you know, want to spend the time on that. Right. I'm well, sure for my own clients, varied. it's included. Yeah. There's no additional fee because okay. I want to make sure that it stays current. Yeah. Um, for somebody who's planned documents I didn't draft, there is a fee because I'm not sure what I'm getting. Right. Sometimes it's, you know, a co- <laughs> some yeah. one, one lawyer will draft a will and it's three pages long and they filled in somebody's name in all capital letters on a blank line. And I can yeah. look at that in 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, somebody else will say, well, you look at my will and it turns out it's a series of trusts, you know, three yeah. or four different yeah, trusts. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they'll call it that a will. It might take you a little bit of time to review so, those. Right. Yeah. So we have to see what we're, this is the apples to pineapples kind of a thing. Yeah. Not all wills are created equally. Not all trusts are created equally. And what somebody thinks he or she has, you know, may not be what he or she actually has. So many yeah. people have a trust, but they'll call it a will. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So. Happens all the time. Yeah. Um, how frequently are laws changing in, in Massachusetts? Like, is it often that you're 
having to update your client's documents because something changed? Is it like every year? No, it's unusual for the law to change dramatically. Yeah. Um, we did have a major change in 2012. The entire probate code was replaced, which okay. is highly unusual. Um, usually there are minor amendments. <laughs> that was that was an interesting time. Um, yeah. And we're still kind of in Massachusetts. There are still portions of the new law that practitioners are still trying to understand. The mm. courts and lawyers are mm. trying to understand how exactly do we do certain pieces of it. Um, that said, there are court cases that come up periodically yeah. that change things. You mentioned one of them, the case that went up to the U.S. Supreme Court a couple years back. I want to say it was 2015. I'm having a moment. Um, but that was the case that kind of sent the shockwaves through your community and my community professionally saying that, yes, those beneficiary designations control whatever a will says does not matter yeah. on those third-party contracts for yeah. life insurance, retirement, and so forth. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, we can move on to trust. We should take another break here in a few minutes, but we'll at least start the conversation regarding trusts, and, and that will probably um, continue after the break. But um, I frequently get the question, what's a trust? Do I need one? Why does my neighbor have a trust and I don't? Um, and I you know, I'm not an attorney, I don't have a law degree, but I, I think I understand the reason that most people have the trust that they have, for what I understand. I don't always read the documents, but um, I understand a lot of the reasoning for having a trust. Um, I wondered if you could just maybe, I don't even, I actually don't even trust know where to start with regarding to, you know, with regards to asking you about trust, but I thought maybe defining a living trust versus a testamentary trust is that a good place to start or do you want to start with like the situations in which people might consider having a trust where do you think is the best place to so i think educate that, yeah like pretend i'm your client and educate me with regards to what this, is a trust this is where radio would be more difficult because yeah. i don't have my whiteboard <laughs> but um i will do my best to illustrate with words yeah um I think the best place to start is with what is a trust. Okay. And we can understand conceptually what that means, but at base, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a living trust, a testamentary okay. trust, revocable, irrevocable. Okay. We all start. Oh, I'll cross from, that right off my outline then. No, Danielle, no. no. It, <laughs> they all matter. What I mean I is know, at yeah. base, they all start the same way. So with any kind of a trust, of any, any kind of a trust at all, you start with the person who sets it up. So that person is the settlor or the grantor or, or the, the donor, donor or the trust <laughs> yeah. maker. Okay. It's totally arose by any other name. Doesn't matter what you call this person. This is yep. the person who sets up the trust. So this person puts his or her stuff into the trust. Um, and assets of some kind, some kind yep. of something goes yep. into this trust. A trust you can think of like a box. Yep. Right. Um, and if I had my whiteboard, it would be. Yep. A That's very how I draw my financial box. account. Right. <laughs> like my IRA is drawn like a box. So. Right. Yep. So we put into this box that you set up as settlor, grantor, donor. You put your stuff in it, and then you say to this person that you really trust, "Hey, you, will you be my trustee?" only ever called trustee. Yeah. I want you to hold on to all of this stuff and it's not really going to be yours. You're just going to hold on to it for me. You'll okay. have uh, some decision law school flashbacks, bare legal title. You oh boy. Hold on to this for me, this stuff that's inside this box and it's for the benefit of my beneficiaries. Okay. So any kind of a trust is going to start out like that. What makes one trust be different from another is who gets to set it up 
what kind of stuff goes in it, what kind of rules get put around how that stuff gets used, managed, distributed, and so forth, whether the stuff can come back out again or whether once you put it in, it's there forever. Yeah. Um, Who can be trustee, who can't, who can be beneficiary, and who can't. Yeah. Um, And also, when does it get set up? Yeah. So any kind of a trust starts with that, like, basic core molecular structure. And so if you think about it, you have that three-party arrangement like you have with life insurance yeah. or a retirement account. You have the person who sets it up, the person holding on to everything, and the person who's benefiting. Yeah. And so if you set up a trust and you name somebody to succeed you in the event of your incapacity, a successor trustee, then you don't ever have a failure where you need a court to step in and manage those assets because you've already appointed that third party to manage all that stuff inside the trust still for the benefit of the beneficiaries. And your death is the trigger. Your incapacity could be the trigger. So you might still be alive and benefiting from your own assets in your own trust, but you're just not the one managing them then at that time. And of course, after you die, you have your contingent beneficiaries And so those would be the people who would take after you. And again, if you have a successor trustee and a successor to your successor, um, then you don't ever have a failure of that third party relationship. And so because of that, to the extent the assets are actually inside of the trust, that's the key, that trust funding piece that we were talking about before. If you've actually transferred title into the trust, you don't need those assets to go through court. Right. Non-probated then. Exactly. Non-probated. Exactly. Okay. So what are some of the big... Um, most common reasons that's that you would recommend a trust of some sort for a client? So one reason would be minor children beneficiaries, yeah. um, particularly where we really have no inkling about what these children are going to be like when they are young adults someday. Yep. And we want to make sure that we're controlling the distribution and flow of the assets for their benefit. If you have a difference in ages between children, you want to make sure that younger children have the same access or um, availability to benefit from the pool of assets that the parent or parents are leaving. So using a trust can be one way to try to equalize access to those assets in a way that makes it more fair for younger siblings, if you will. I have an almost nine-year age gap between my kids, so I'm sensitive to that. Okay, so can you elaborate on that, actually? Because I think that might be the first time I've heard that particular reason. Sure. So if you think, if you take um, some pot of money and somebody dies and you say, okay, we're going to distribute this out. I have four children. Let's use mine, right? So we say, okay, one fourth each to each of my children. Well, my youngest will be starting kindergarten in the fall. My oldest will be starting high school. um, And I have a a couple in between. So so the idea is we want to give my little one a chance to catch up to her big sisters and have the ability to go play sports, to take dance lessons, to play piano, to do whatever things her older sisters have had the chance to do before she's had a chance so that my older daughters don't use up whatever money there is and then we just plain divide equally. So the idea is you retain it in a trust, you retain it together in a pot long enough for the little one to catch up and then you say, okay, now we're gonna split the pot apart. So while it's- it's, Okay, so it's not a 25% split 
at date of death, for example. Exactly. It's later. We can stagger that out later. So I might say, for example, I want all of my children to have the ability to go to college or to at least turn 23 or 25. I want them to have the chance to get to that point, and then we'll split that pot apart. Now, it doesn't mean that my older daughters won't have access to the assets in there. They will. But, for example, if my oldest daughter is... Um, knock wood here if she's maybe buying her first condo or maybe she's getting married or something is going on in her life that would be a kind of bigger ticket item my trustee then could say absolutely here you go i know your parents would want you to have this yeah but when we divide that into the four shares later we're going to take that and treat it as having been an advancement on your separate share and we're going to take that out of that division to equalize things between the four of them that's interesting. It's hard to say this it's so well as to draw yeah, this. Yeah, it's so it's because your older daughter has had, you know, that fourteen many more years. years of support from you, exactly. and your kindergartner has not. Um, that's interesting. So you're waiting till a point in time to. So you could also. I'm a math person. I'm not a legal. Person. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. You could almost like present value, like so. Your younger daughter is actually potentially ending up with a larger share. At date of... I think it's still being spent Death, down, yeah. hopefully also being invested, but yeah. it's just giving her a chance to catch up. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think I'm having trouble with it because I am a math person and I'm trying to figure out the numbers. The like, numbers, <laughs> yeah. What would that split be if it's not 25? Okay, but conceptually that makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, why don't we actually take an opportunity? I, there's a lot, I think there's a lot more we could discuss with regards to trusts. Um, that was just the tip of the iceberg, if you will. And um, but I, and I want to give us time to do that. So let's actually take a quick break. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. And I'm talking this morning with Danielle Van S of DGVELaw.com. Actually, we haven't done this yet, Danielle. Why don't you give out your contact information for people? Sure. What's um, the best way for them to get you? People can reach us at our office phone number, which is 781-740-0848, or by sending an email to info at dgvelaw.com. Okay, perfect. Um, Let's take a quick break and we'll continue our discussions regarding trusts in a moment. (laughs) 